It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 526 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. It is the last day of the month today. Have you finished the month already? Or are you still scrambling to pull on that last deal before the month ends? Well, joining me on the show for the first time is Chris Ortolano. He's a sales productivity partner at Outbound Edge. He's also the chapter president of the AAISP in Portland, Oregon. So we're going to talk about sales productivity. And that's might expect that since he's a sales productivity partner. And we're going to talk about how do you measure it? Sales productivity. I mean, how do you measure sales productivity? It's not as straightforward as you might think. And we're also going to talk about why sales reps really need to understand what their productivity is in order to improve their performance. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 526. There we provide a timestamp to break down of this and all the conversations you hear on Accelerate. Make sure you check it out. And if you like this show, of course, it would really help us out if you subscribed, left a review for us. You can do those all on the podcast app on the phone you're using to listen to this podcast. So go ahead, hit pause, subscribe, leave your quick review, and then come right back. I'll be waiting for you. So let's jump right into it. Chris Ortolano, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks, Andy. It's a pleasure to join you here. Pleasure to have you. Where are you joining us from today? Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. I love that town. That is just a fun place. Come visit someday. We'd love to see you. Well, I've been, and yes, I'll... Now that you and I have met each other uh, prior to the show, but we hadn't met each other a few months ago, um, yeah, we'll definitely definitely do that. So, all right, standard opening question. So part of my ongoing research project is a question I ask all my guests. In your opinion, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? I think we're overwhelmed with information. Overwhelmed with information. Okay. And, and is it because... <laughs> there's some people think that you know reps are distracted because they're spending too much time on useless information or it's they're overwhelmed with information that's being pushed toward them i think it's being pushed uh, and they don't have an opportunity to classify it into any kind of body of knowledge and so we're depending on our memory but we also know that uh, we can get overwhelmed and lose track of things uh, so we need to create context i think for learning so that people can create uh, methods of, of memori- memorizing. Uh, we just talked earlier about uh, mnemonics. That mm-hmm. is using short uh, symbols or strings of letters to help us remember important uh, techniques. And so when you're saying that's being pushed toward them, is this you know, from their, their marketing department you know, saying, hey, you know, here are leads, here's content, here's whatever? And, or are they getting it from both sides, from you know, buyers as well? What, where is that yeah, coming so- from? So I'm going to just broadly use a metaphor to describe sales as I see it today. It's a combination of three things, perhaps. You've got to be one part politician, uh, one part tango dancer, and one part air traffic controller. (laughs) Okay. If you've ever done a tango dance, you know that you have to become uh, quite personal with somebody in a very short period. This is somebody that you don't know. Uh, And there's a certain communication style that lends itself to opening up. But amidst all of that, there's all these planes moving around, and these are your product development teams, your sales and marketing uh, executives, and of course the markets themselves. Mm -hmm. The markets are are very dynamic. So if we don't know our industry, how can we talk to our customers? We we, we need a way to keep up with uh, their changes also. And then finally, the politics is really about making deals. 
Uh, we have to know how to get people to sit at the table. We have to listen to their concerns. We have to find a way to create some beneficial agreement that results in an outcome that we're all satisfied with. These are, these are difficult skills to, to master individually, but when you put them all together, it can be overwhelming. So we need to create guidelines, I think, especially for some of our newer reps. Got it. So you you recently started, uh, well, not, I mean, not so recently, but you started a, an online sales community. Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, SalesStack is a free forum for practitioners uh, and leaders to create a learning community. We basically uh, ask each other questions about a lot about sales technology, but also about process and metrics and outcomes. Uh, and it's created uh, an experience where we can you know, meet each other in real life. Uh, SalesStack has been very powerful for me. It's taught me a lot. Uh, it's taught me how to listen, in fact. Interesting. So why, what was the motivation to start it? I mean, there's no other forum similar. I mean, and I think you and I are probably members on a couple other similar <laughs> similar forums, so at least I see your name on there occasionally. Yeah, so I have to give credit to Jason Vargas and George Soto. Uh, early on, they were willing to get on the phone with us, do some private webinars and tweet chats uh, to transfer some of the knowledge out of the Silicon Valley up here to Portland, Oregon. We're a small market. We have you know maybe 50 sales leaders, and we were craving some of their knowledge. They suggested that uh, we put together the Slack team, so we did, and we went from 25 to 250, and now over a thousand, because people want to have a, kind of a personal environment to chat and also ask questions and share content and bring their friends in, uh, and that creates this uh, ongoing uh, learning or continuous learning environment that we feel is very helpful. So, what are the primary topics that people want to chat about on the on the forum? Great question. Yeah. So a lot of it is how to get your first sales development team up and running. Uh, so we talk about hiring, uh, onboarding, uh, the ramp period, you know, what does uh, continuous training look like, but also uh, how do we build our sales stack? Uh, there's a plethora of tools out there. Uh, and then we talk about metrics. Uh, how do we measure progress? So we have um, a number of people who contribute on a regular basis, and these are our sort of our leaders. And then we get, on average, about two or three new people a day. I'd say the split is between established and, and new startups. So, you know, not quite growth, but certainly have raised around. And then we have a number of startups who are just considering sales and sales development for the very first time. And we want to help them avoid making some of the most common mistakes. So I had a question I wanted to ask you about that, because I said I... In communities like this, as, as I scan the, the topics and the discussion threads and so on and the topics that are being discussed, what I find interesting is that, as you sort of just said, is that it seems like about 90, 95% of the threads are about process, tech, structure, metrics, comp plans, and so on. And only about 5 to 10% are about the buyer. And I, I, to me, that's almost like, okay, asking myself, is that a sort of a commentary about sort of where we are today in sales? Yeah, um, I think we assume that we know about the buyer and we have not really learned to think about the buyer. Most training that I've experienced or heard of is really product and process focused. Uh, so that begs the question, uh, why don't we listen more to our, our customers? So I've done some interviews, which I call customer data stories where I ask people to tell me the steps that they took to engage with a vendor, evaluate the market, and then what 
what shift occurred within key KPIs. This idea of, of data and data stories is still not popular uh, because I think we're oriented around an older sales model, uh, which is kind of, you know, maybe based out of the 20th century, where you have a high activity, high volume process. And the buyer is more or less assumed uh, once the deal is closed. But really, I, I would suggest that SaaS and selling SaaS is more of an hourglass than a funnel. And so we need to pay much closer attention. Uh, and I think that the, the opportunity to do that, especially with a knowledge base, is, is still uh, wide open at this point. Well, it raises an interesting question because as I look at, at research reports that come out, and again, people are probably listening to this, maybe sick of me talking about this subject, but you know, I we see all this wonderful technology, these you know, plethora of tools coming in that are available for sales, you know, from start to finish in the sales process, customer success as well. But I said it, it there's no real report that I've seen that sort of indicates that we were, yeah, we're really, all this technology is having the impact of really moving the needle in terms of overall sales performance across our profession. Uh, in fact, it's not. Right. So, so when you, when you make the comment and say, well, sort of assume sort of about the buyer, when I see that all these discussions are oriented around everything except how do I actually make a gosh darn sale? It's like, okay, you know, are we, are we trying to hide behind the tools? Because I I, yeah. see, I get a sense of that from you know with companies I work with and the sales professionals I work with that, and I don't want to say it's purely generational because it's not. Is that you know people you know people want to hide behind the tools? It's almost like yeah, you know, sales is famous for making excuses, right? It's it's one of the ironies about sales is it's there's no other profession where it's you know your your success or your livelihood is so much based directly on your your efforts, yet. You know, salespeople are the most uh, prolific when it comes to excuses of why they don't get things done. Yeah, I, I would suggest that we're in transition. Uh, so we do see some companies, uh, for example, MuleSoft, uh, they just went public this year, creating inside academies, inside sales academies to really understand their buyers. So they moved away from a volume and velocity model mm -hmm. to really allowing their, their top funnel prospectors to build relationships and, and build discovery skills. Uh, and I think that was a, a conscious choice that executives at that company and others like them have made. And I think until we start to uh, look at data and realize that that kind of investment that they do also at Adobe and Burst, uh, that that kind of investment in our, our frontline sales reps is paying off, that we're not going to be so familiar with how to understand the buyer. But I know that uh, as we create more of these academy models, you see them uh, in companies like Discover Org, uh, that we'll start to see more benefit there. Yeah, well, I think that's, it's, and you and I have talked about this in the past uh, when we've met, is that you know, sales is still about a person talking to a person. And yeah, I'm heartened here. You know, something like Mule, company like MuleSoft and others are beginning to spend more time investing in that because technology should be used in support of making that moment as effective as possible. And you know, I ask questions of CEOs, founders of you know, some company come out with the latest tool, and it's like, okay, well, how does this help the buyer make a decision? Yeah, I think we need a framework. Uh, so I, I came up with a kind of a five part framework, if you will, uh, for for thinking about how to talk to buyers. 
Uh, so the first part would be to have some sense of curiosity. And we spoke earlier uh, on this call about pausing and listening. And I think curiosity leads to uh, collaboration. Uh, I think that many buyers are very sophisticated. Uh, it does not take long for me to create a matrix of similar tools. Uh, but you need to collaborate with me before I'm willing to make a commitment to you. That's the third step. And what I'm looking for, if I'm a buyer, is somebody that can help me make a change inside my company. That is, in my opinion, the most difficult thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and that requires exceptional communication skills. And Andy, uh, you know, many of us do not have exceptional communication skills. We've never studied communication in college. We don't practice like actors and writers do on a daily basis. And yet that's really what it boils down to is how well we communicate. But don't, uh, before, you, I don't want to interrupt step five, but I just want to insert is salespeople do practice every day. Yeah, but I think there's a false sense of security there. I, I, I honestly don't think that doing the work is practicing. Uh, just because I show up and make 100 phone calls doesn't mean that I'm getting any better at my craft. Well, uh, yeah, I think if, you, if, we you're know, not, if you're not curious, <laughs> you're, yes, you're never going to learn from what's going on. Yeah, so I, I coach salespeople on a regular basis. Uh, and it, it's, it continues to amaze me how little time people put in after hours or on the weekends doing basic things, say, writing a narrative story. So there's this concept that Daniel Pink uh, described called the Pixar pitch, where we use six elements to tell a story. Why? Because stories live in our brains longer than, say, features and benefits. Uh, this is a very simple process. You can read about it in his book, To Sell as Human. But very few people will actually practice that process. I think we need to embrace sales as a craft that we have to practice, not just do. Well, you raise an interesting point, though, is, and I think this is one of the dilemmas, is that we say, as you just said, look, reps aren't investing enough of their time on the weekends and so on to improve their craft, improve their, you know, the professional development why should it be up to them on their time to do that? Why not, as some companies do, say, yeah, yeah, we're going to invest time. We're going to take time out of the sales day because we know, hey, we're only spending 30, 35% of the time anyway actually talking to a customer. If that, we're going to take some of that time and we're going to invest it in you. We got, Completely agreed. But we got, we got a ton of pushback. I mean, I, I program I sell with companies that it's a 10-book it's a reading curriculum. And, but I only work with companies that agree to invest time during the business day to give people time to read it. And we ask for 20 minutes every day, 15 minutes to read and five minutes to reflect in a journal about what they just read. And hugely, hugely beneficial to teams that go through that. But, you know, more often than not, I mean, 90% of the time, a sales leader will push back and say, yeah, we don't have time for that. I, I think that um, you're you're on the leading edge of a trend uh, that more and more companies are wanting to do this. Uh, so I know Outreach is doing this uh, in association with Jaco uh, Vanderkoy at Winning by Design. They know that investing in their frontline staff has huge rewards. But until we can measure that, other companies may be skeptical. So uh, it may be incumbent upon the individual to make use of all this rich information, the podcasts, the webinars, that's how I got started, and adopt a self-learning approach. And then hopefully that will spread throughout their peers, 
uh, and even to their managers. I think there's a bit of a bottleneck, as I said earlier. There's so much information, particularly our managers are overwhelmed with forecasts and pipeline reviews and spreadsheets that they may not have the time to develop the kind of learning curriculum or knowledge base to feed uh, the, the, the necessary skills and development inside a company. If you don't have that access inside your company, you can certainly create it on your own. Absolutely. I mean, sure. Ideally, you know, we'd love people to to invest some of their own time, some of their own money, even in learning. You clearly have done it. I've done it. But, you know, we always have this sort of issue as we, we say, okay, well, we've got this great middle, if you will, you know, not the top performers, not the bottom performers that are the people we think have the potential to become the next level. And there's this reticence to actually put your money where your mouth is and actually invest in them because we're assuming, and often in the show, I get guests who say the same thing as, you know, people aren't investing enough of their own time. And I always have the same answer, which is our question is, that'd be great if they did, but why aren't we investing in them? We're stuck in an archaic model, which is you just hire somebody, uh, give them a week or two of training, and then if they don't work out after 90, 180 days, you fire them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I call that the hire to fire model. And probably sales as we know it uh, started with that approach. Why? Sure. Because you churn through enough people and you're going to get a few A players and they're yeah. going to car- carry the team, right? Exactly. Well, I mean, that's, that is the model. I mean, when I got started, the company I worked for at the time was the second largest computer company in the world. That's uh, IBM did the same thing at the same time. That's exactly what they did. They went and hired hundreds of new college grads every year and put them through a program knowing full well that 90% of them were going to wash out over two years. And they were okay with that. And, and sadly, you know, many VPs moved up through the ranks that way and they still make the decisions but yep. a, f- a few companies are realizing that knowledge is actually a powerful fulcrum and that they can actually train to retain uh, and they will recruit top talent uh, and provide them with a one or two year growth plan where their progress is measured not only on productivity but on their ability to learn and also teach uh, and so this is the cutting edge, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. in five years, this model will be proven. Right now, companies are investing uh, on their own, their own dime. So I was, I got to give a shout out to uh, Eli Cohen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he held a productivity summit uh, early April um, in Fort Mason. And, and he had large companies represent, uh, exactly was one, talk about their journey to develop a training model. And they all took some time away from productivity to figure out this model. And it was difficult. But in the end, they were rewarded with their time and effort. uh, And that's contributing to scaling sales. It takes time on our part. We have to have a commitment. Uh, And Eli and some of his customers have done a great job of sharing their stories. And I think we need to circulate those stories a little bit more. Well, you raise interesting words that you and I have talked about in the past, which is productivity. So I guess the question for you is, do we really have a handle on what constitutes sales productivity? You know, it's 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 a new phrase. Um, I'll you know <laughs> throw out my two cents. Um, I think we need to look at productivity as some correlation between leading and lagging indicators. Uh, so, leading indicators are the training, the coaching, the learning and development that helps to make our process uh, more specific and. Uh, more effective. 
And then can we correlate that with some increase in conversion, say, at the top of the funnel or opportunities uh, or ultimately revenue? We know it comes down to closed one. I've seen spreadsheets where people are doing this, but I don't think we have a, a, a science yet. I think people are still trying to determine, is it worth it, as you suggest earlier, to take 20 minutes out of our day? Oh, wait a minute. I think we can correlate that 20 minutes with uh, a, a higher quality conversation or getting more decision makers into the deal earlier on, moving the deals faster. Yeah, I see it until we can prove that correlation a little bit more. I think productivity is still open to interpretation. Well, how would you define productivity? It's a correlation between the leading and the lagging. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but I say I think one of the issues we have in sales is that we we have no idea no idea what productivity means. So, I mean, look at productivity from an economic standpoint. You know, it's a unit of output for a unit of input, right? So we're producing X amount of, of goods for a unit of labor. So why wouldn't we look at sales the same way? Yeah, uh, I think that is a uh, sort of a factory, uh, <laughs> a, a, a metaphor that comes out of, uh, you know, industrialization. But we look at it as a, a measure of gross gross productivity and given the fact that you know we have you know our economy is increasingly dominated by a service economy it but still has value so in in accounting mm -hmm. uh, because i wanted to understand financial statements uh, i thought that was i still do think that's an excellent uh window if you will uh into the health of a company um but one thing you don't see on the balance sheet is any reference to talent uh, so just because I'm growing 15 or 20% year over year, uh, there's no reference to, to how that, how the people are, uh, important to that process. So we're, we're knowledge workers. And I think it's important to, to start to assign a value to knowledge. Uh, and I think that we intrinsically know that knowledge is valuable. Uh, we respect somebody who, uh, is, very intelligent. Uh, they give a TED talk. They write a book. But I think knowledge is more than just book learning these days. I think there's a sense of community. Uh, I think there's organic knowledge, which is this sharing of ideas. Uh, I think there's structured knowledge, which we t see in a lot of our uh, sort of role-based learning. And I think there's huge potential there, honestly, to increase productivity. That is to increase output by focusing some of our attention on how to apply knowledge and knowledge systems inside our organizations. Okay. There's a lot there to, to unpack. Um, so is one of the trends that you're worried about that people are substituting data for knowledge? Yeah, I think data is uh, it's very uh, appealing. As you said earlier, you know, it's quantifiable, uh, but it does not represent the whole story. Uh, so I'm, I'm keen on data stories. So if someone shows me a spreadsheet, I say, well, what's the narrative behind this? And then can you uh, include that narrative in your discussion? Uh, this is similar to a 10K where a company describes the uh, year's activities and creates a bit of a SWOT analysis to, to characterize why the year went the way it did. I think we need to use data to test our hypotheses. And I think knowledge and, and learning is essentially a, a, a test. Uh, companies are laboratories. But we need to run tests, not just assume that knowledge is limited to an LMS, for example. Well, when you're talking about tests, give an example. So your your book club or your 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 ten book uh, mm, curriculum you know, curriculum 
uh, is certainly a test for somebody that's never deployed uh, a curriculum like that inside their organization. Mm -hmm. And so they have to take a risk and they're going to manage some risk. If there's 100 people times 20 minutes, that's, you know, 30 hours, 33 hours a week. Uh, you know, you can equate that with some potential revenue. So I'm hoping to get more revenue <laughs> than I would for having those 33 hours on the phone. I, I think we can measure that. I think we can suggest that it's worth it because during the day we're going to see uh, a, a, a more uh, focused approach uh, and we can test certain outcomes. We can look at writing skills, for example. Uh, Ralph Barcy at uh, Topo Summit said, teach your sales and sales development teams how to write. I think that's the single most important skill that many of us are lacking. I think we all know what to write, but I think we can all improve on how we write it. And can we measure that? Yeah, I think we can measure that in terms of the responses that we get when we send out emails or series of emails. If I write a better email, do I get a response sooner? Do I get a higher quality response? I think we could test that. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, undoubtedly, I think we could. Um, yeah, I, I, I must, I'm sort of, I have to admit, I mean, one of these people is starting to say, okay, look, we're, we're, you're saying we're being overwhelmed. One of the things we're overwhelmed with increasingly is data. And it's sort of the point you were just making, I think you were making just a bit ago, is that I think where we struggle is as sales leaders and as salespeople, we don't know how to make sense of much of the data that we get. Right, because we have a tendency as humans to sort of say, "Yeah, let, let's use that data to confirm our current narrative," which is a comfortable thing we do, and we sort of default position we'd use as just the way we think as humans. But it's yeah, you know, we don't dig sort of to find the story behind the data as you just talked about. Yeah, Brian Lambert and I had a conversation about this uh, about eight months ago about cognitive bias within organizations. And Brian is who? Uh, Brian Lambert, uh, he is with Oxygen. Um, they're a learning and development consultancy based out of Seattle. You should definitely uh, make an introduction to him. He's brilliant in his assessment of how companies learn or don't learn. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's very keen on creating a culture of understanding the customer and customer outcomes. And so what was your conversation about, about the data? So we were talking about learning culture. Um, and how uh, there's cognitive bias and that we are afraid to uh, essentially challenge the bias. So if there's a sales-driven culture, uh, then maybe there's less emphasis on product or vice versa. You could have engineering sort of driving uh, the culture. So we need to figure out language that works uh, for these different cultures and then really allow them to share knowledge. We, we, we both agree that silos may be one of the most limiting aspects of, of quote, modern organizations. Uh, we feel like there's a need to break down those silos, and we feel like sharing ideas about customers is one way to do that. Uh, so customer narratives, customer testimonials, customer data stories are all valuable, uh, but they typically don't get shared inside companies. And so we were asking maybe what are some ways that we could create more of a sharing of knowledge around customers uh, inside an organization. So if you were to look at the way, and you've referenced it several times, so you think that at least in the tech industry that you know you and I sort of, you more directly than I work in is, is, is that we're sort of stuck in a sales model that that's old, it's creaky, it's, it's uh, taking on water. Um, so if you're gonna say, look, let's reimagine 
these silos or reimagine the functions to get rid of the silos, how would you restructure sales? Yeah. So, you know, sales is, in my opinion, the job of a, a sales rep is to convert uh, what I call general sales intelligence. Uh, this is all the data that we can use uh, to create a, a hypothesis, a general idea into what I call critical sales intelligence. Uh, this is more like a detective uh, putting together clues, uh, trying to bring uh, many different disciplines inside the uh, customer account together uh, to understand what their priorities are, their initiatives. So I think we need to teach our sales reps about the different functions inside an account. Uh, one of the best ways to do this is to onboard your new reps with a real good introduction to say what the finance function is, uh, what the product development function is, uh, what the HR function is. Um, the companies are matrixed a lot more, in my opinion, than we are trained to believe. Uh, when we talk about buyer's consensus, uh, there's people from many different business units mm -hmm. helping to achieve consensus. And in my opinion, not understanding uh, A, the business model, and B, uh, the domain knowledge that is specifically, if you're in cybersecurity, you need to understand cybersecurity. Those two critical elements, I think, are really key to transforming sales. Uh, and we do not invest enough in training our reps with business savvy and domain knowledge. Well, last question for you, because unfortunately we're getting to the end of our time, is is why does that persist? I mean, it's not like there's a lack of a self-awareness that I think in general among sales leaders that they're not investing enough in training reps, let's say, about their products that they sell, services they sell, as well as about the customer. Yeah, I think that um, there's a little bit of a rational exuberance, uh, not to be negative, but, um, you know, we are, we're in the midst of, say, phase one of, uh, you know, sales automation, which is access to really rich contact data um, that we've never had before. Uh, we're able to pinpoint uh, some general hypothesis around people and persona uh, roles inside a company. But we are really at the beginning of trying to understand what's going on inside a company. So I've got to give a shout out to David Brock uh, at the Topo Summit. He said, you know, companies have more or less ability to change, more or less uh, ability to, to evolve, if you will. And I, I kind of coined this as a maturity index. Uh, I think that we need to understand how much a company can change. And there's no amount of data that can share that. The only way we can learn that is by engaging in conversation. So it comes back to the communication skills, in my opinion. We need to understand what our customers are, are going through, what their, their pain is, how they make decisions. What does consensus look like inside their organizations? And, and honestly, I think we as salespeople could, could do better at, at, at preparing ourselves for that kind of conversation. Okay. This is going to be my last question because I, I cut you off before. We only got through four of your five C's. So we, we okay, have, let we me recap: curiosity, collaboration, mm -hmm. commitment, and communication skills. The fifth one is change. Change. I knew Sales it. in in its sort of simplest form is about change management. Yep. And well, you I, cannot do step five without the first four steps. All right. That's why I figured it was. But glad that we came back and asked. So. Chris, unfortunately, we're out of time. We're going to have to, have to come back again soon. We'll continue our conversation. Uh, but in the meantime, tell people how they can connect with you and learn more about you. 
Yeah, so my Twitter handle is salesnerdo, that is uh, (laughs) N-E-R-D-O. And uh, from there, you can uh, click to uh, SalesStack on Twitter, and there's a URL. You can join our our sales community. It's a thriving group. Uh, We engage in daily QA around some of these topics, uh, many of them around how to get your sales playbooks uh, started. Uh, We had a rich conversation on that yesterday. Um, and then you can also find me uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Chris Ortolano, O-R-T-O-L-A-N-O. I'd be more than happy to link in with you, have some conversations, uh, and I'm curious to learn what challenges your listeners are, are trying to solve. All right, Chris, thanks again. And friends, thank you for spending this time with us today. Remember, come back, join me again tomorrow, another great episode of Accelerate lined up for you. Till then, if you get a chance, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, subscribe to the show, leave us a review. We want to hear from you about what we could do to make it even more valuable experience for you. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>